0: I just wanna share a little personal update or maybe get you guys back up to speed. If you've been part of New City for a while, and we're, we're a year and a half old, so a while could be like six months, um, you may remember me talking about, uh, or complaining, rather, about my birthday. And so you may be, I don't even know if I share with you what happened this year for my birthday, so I'm gonna get everyone up to speed. I guess so, three years ago, I had, we invited some people to have dinner for me on my birthday in May. And we had, I think, two people come. So other than Christina and I, my wife, there's two others. And I kind of chalked it off to like, well, you know, it was like last minute. People were busy. Things happened. So next year, which was last year, rolls around, and we do it again. And guys, my friend group blew up. 50% increase from two to three. And so then I start thinking, okay, uh, maybe the only reason that if we have anyone friends, we have any friends is because everyone likes Christina. And they put up with me. And so then this year happened. Now, guys, I don't, I don't know if I've shared this. So this year happens, and there, they, Christina threw a surprise party for me at my house, and there was like 12 or 15 people. And I don't know the math on that, but that's like 800% increase. And so I'm, I'm all excited. I'm like, yes, I have friends. And then I realized the only reason anybody came over is because we played this murder mystery game where there was like multiple rounds, and like this something Christina got from, from the Internet. And like you, nobody knew who the killer was, and it was, dude, it was so much fun. And then while we were having fun, I was like, this is why they came. And so I just, you know, I felt like nobody cared about me, still feel that away a little bit, and um, it's not funny, It's not funny. Uh, and so, okay, while that is funny, thank you, um, here's why I bring that up, today we're talking about this, this question, is this, does anyone really love me, right, so I don't know if you've ever felt, felt this, but this question, do you feel like no one really loves you? And I, this was a joke for me. We're talking about, you know, what happened to me and that's really fun. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, you know what? If I had invited people over for dinner for my birthday, I don't think anybody would come. Or maybe love is too gushy of a word. So maybe i put it this way. Do you feel like nobody cares about you? Do you feel like nobody respects you? Do you feel like nobody would notice if you weren't there? I think all of us have been there maybe in the past. Some of you may be there this morning where you're just going through it and you feel like nobody cares. You feel like nobody loves you and you're and so you're wondering What's the point? Does it even matter? This morning we're continuing our series, Not Enough. We've talked about what do we do when we feel like we don't have enough time? What do we do if we feel like we don't have enough money? And today we're talking about what do we do if we we, we feel like we don't have enough or any love? We feel like nobody cares about us at all. That's what we're looking at this morning. And I want to start by saying something that I think all of us have maybe heard or, or, or are familiar with, but explain what that actually means. So here's what I want us to know As we begin this morning, if you feel like nobody cares about you, nobody loves you, that you do not matter, here's what you need to know, that you are loved by God. Okay, here's the thing. Regardless of whether you feel like nobody cares about you, or you feel like God loves you or does not love you, the reality of the situation is you are loved by God. Now, I want us to get all on the same page of what I mean by that, because when I say you are loved, that may mean different things to different people. Maybe you had a parent walk out of of your life when you were a kid, or maybe you've been in a relationship where you had a spouse or a partner who was abusive or only did anything for you if you were on your best behavior or if you did everything you were supposed to do. Maybe your idea of love is you get what you deserve, and if you don't measure up, and if you're not good enough, then you don't get whatever it is. And so I want us to know this morning that you are loved by God, but I also want us to find what that actually means so that we're all on the same page. Now, we could spend all morning just talking about this, uh, and it's uh, in and of itself. I just wanna give us two passages that you may be familiar with to help us show us what does it mean for us to be loved by God. First is John 3.16 that you, again, most of us have probably heard before, and here's what it says. It'll be on the screen. It says this, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son; that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I want to point out two things real quick. One, it says, "For God so loved the world," which means that there is a quantity and there is a breadth to it. This isn't kind of like some flippant statement. God likes you. God loves you. you. Know he he so loves you. He so loves you and I. He cares. And I think sometimes when we read this, we think. God so loved the world, so he loved. He had a lot of love because the world is big and his creation is big. But what this is actually talking about is it's not that he loves the world. It's not that he loves creation. What he loves are his people in the world. And so he loves the world so much, not because there's a lot of people, but because each individual person he came and he died for, he loves us with a huge amount of quantity and a huge amount of depth to it. And so he loves the world not because he loves the world. He loves the world because he loves people that he created. So you just need to know this morning that you are in the world. You live in the world. You are one of these people that God loves. And so God loves you so much that he came and showed us that and demonstrated demonstrated that to us in sending Jesus, right? So he so, he so loved you. But I want to drill down a little bit deeper. And what does that mean for God to actually love us? So whatever love is, he has a lot of it towards us. But what does it mean for him to actually love us? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This one will be on the screen as well. Unfortunately, or not necessarily unfortunately, this is something that you hear in weddings all the time, and I think sometimes when we hear similar passages over and over and over again, we're like, okay, I get it, let's move on. But I just want to read this, for example, for, for, for a second here, especially from the vantage point of feeling like nobody loves you. We see that God does love you, and I want us to understand what this love actually looks like. Here's what this says, 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. It says, love is patient, love is kind, Love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not irritable, and it does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no, no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, adores all things. Love never ends. Right, so this picture of love may be different than what we're used to seeing. Right? We're used to seeing the better you do, the more you measure up, the more people will love and care for you. But that's not what this passage says. And what's interesting in 1 John chapter 4 and other parts throughout scripture, it talks about how God is love. Love comes from God, and God is synonymous in love, which makes this interesting that if you switch out love for God in this in this passage, and see that this is how God views you and cares for you because of what Jesus has done, I want to read this again, substituting love for God, for us to really understand how God loves and cares for us. Here's what it says if you change these two words. It says, God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. He is not boastful. He is not arrogant. He is not rude. He is not self-seeking. He is not irritable. And he does not keep a record of wrongs. God finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, which, by the way, I think is opposite how we often view God, where we often think God is ready to smite us, to strike us down, and get back at us when we do things wrong. We don't measure up to his standard. That's not what it says. He says he finds no pleasure in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God never ends. And this, guys, is what God, what we mean when we say God loves us. This is what his love looks like towards us. That he loves us so much that he does all these things, not because we deserve it or because we did anything, but simply because he is love. Which is important because I think we have, I guess one or two camps of people here this morning. One is you may not be sure sure about this Jesus thing at all. You may not be sure that God actually loves you. So you just need to know that God loves you, not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done. This is how the love and grace he wants to offer to you. And if you've been following Jesus for a while, I think what often happens is we know that, right? We hear this. We know, understand that God loves me. God cares for me. But if we're honest, what we often think is that God will love me more the more I am like him. Right, I know that he loves me, but the less that I sin and the more that I do good and the less that I don't do the things I'm not supposed to do, God will love me more. And so what you need to understand, what we need to understand this morning is that God loves you, not a future version of you. That God loves you today, not a future version of you. That's not to say as we love God more, we grow closer to him, we honor him more in our lives, but that, not, that does not change the amount of love he has for you. I have a three and a half year old daughter, eight month old son, my three and a half year old daughter, Finley, she's great, right? I'm not gonna love her more when she's 10 years old than I do right now. Even though when she's 10 years old, she won't wake up in the middle of the night as much, or if she does, it's not my problem. Um, She'll feed herself, she can take her own bath, she can dress herself. My life will be easier when she gets older. Right, She'll be able to do more human things than she can do by herself now. But will that change how much I love her? It will not, right? The moment you see your kids, if you're, if you're a man, because you, know, you don't have the baby in you the whole time, the moment you see them, you're like, that's my son. That's my daughter. And I love her not because of anything she has done, but simply because she is my daughter, right? She, I love Finley today, not when she gets all of her stuff together and not when she, or not any less when she messes up. I love her today, not a future version of her. And that's how God looks at us. And you need to understand and you need to know this morning that God loves you today, not just a future version of yourself where you somehow get all of your junk together. So if you're here today and you're just like, man, I feel like God doesn't love me, I feel like nobody loves me, I feel like God won't love me till I get better, you need to know that God is love, loving and patient and kind It has nothing to do with your performance and how good you are. It has all to do with who he is and he loves you today, not a future, a future version of you. And here's why this is important, right? Here's why it's important for us to know and to remember that God loves us because you may not feel God's love. You may be sitting here this morning and you're like, I know God loves me. I know God cares, but I don't feel it, right? I don't feel like God loves me. I don't feel like anyone else loves me. I don't feel like God loves me. So, what do I do with that? And here's the encouragement, I think, for us is that in scripture, you are not alone in that. Like, you are not the only person that has ever felt that way. And we actually see that it is okay to voice our frustrations, and God will not smite us for it. So I want to give us two quick examples. One is in Psalm 22, written by King David, who was the king of the Israelites at the time. It'll be on the screen. Here's what he wrote at one point, because of things that he was going through. He said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest and i don't know about you but i don't know if any of you have ever been there where you're like god where are you god this stuff this stuff is going through going on in my life and i just feel like nobody cares and all this stuff's happening where are you Why aren't you answering my prayer? Or we'll read one more. It's in Psalm 88. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip there. I want us to read this together. I want you to read it as I'm going through it and see if you can relate to this at all. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one around you. It'd be on page 520. You can even take that home if you don't own one. That is our gift to you. This is also King David, another different point in his life. Going through something quite difficult and see what he says and see if you can can ever relate to anything that he said in your own personal life. Here's what he says, Psalm 88, verse one. "'Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out before you by day and night.' May my prayer reach your presence. Listen to my cry. Have you ever been there? God, just listen to me. Do you even care? Are you even listening? Verse three, for I've had enough troubles and my life is near Sheol. Now, Sheol in the Old Testament typically referred to people that had died. and this passage, is kind of more referring to people that spend eternity away from God, kind of like living in eternity away from you, what we would talk about hell. And so you can kind of, I mean, it's a little modern translation to this, but you could literally, kind of a modern translation is he's sitting there and he's saying, God, my life feels like hell. That's what it feels like right now. Verse 4, I am counted among those going down to the pit. I am like a man without strength, abandoned among the dead. I am like the slain lying in the grave whom you no longer remember and who you and who are cut off from your care. He's saying, God, you obviously don't remember me. You obviously do not care or you would do something about what I'm going through. Verse 6, you have put me in the lowest part of the pit, in the darkest places, in the depths. Your wrath weighs heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have distanced my friends from me and made me repulsive to them. You've ever been there? Again, if we feel like nobody loves us, we also probably feel like nobody cares. And he's like, God, nobody cares about me and you don't care about me. Uh, Continuing in verse 8, he says, I am shut in and cannot go out. My eyes are worn out from crying. Lord, I cry out to you all day long. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders from the dead? Do departed spirits rise up to praise you? Will your faithful love be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of oblivion? But I call to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer meets you. Lord, why do you reject me? Right? He's like, I'm doing my quiet time every day. Nothing's happening. I feel like you don't even care. Continues on. He says, uh, Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been suffering and near death. I suffer your horrors. I am desperate your wrath sweeps over me. Your terrors destroy me. They surround me like water all day long. They close in on me from every side. You have distanced you have distanced loved ones and neighbors from me. Darkness is my only friend. So I think we just need to be honest and say it's okay for us to be frustrated. It's okay for us to question God. It's okay for us to act like or not act like we have everything all together. I think sometimes we feel like my life is difficult, I feel like nobody cares, and I feel like I can't say anything because everyone's going to get mad at me. And so you just need to know here at New City Church, it's okay for you not to be okay. It's okay for you to have questions. It's okay for you to be frustrated. David did it, and he wrote, he wrote psalms about it. David did it, and he wrote scripture about his frustration. Now, is it true that God didn't love him or not, that God didn't care for him? No, it didn't. But it's how he felt like it in the moment. Here's the thing about feelings, right, they're not necessarily right or wrong, they just are. Like When we feel something, we sometimes can't help it. And I think sometimes we feel guilty that we feel a certain way, so we keep it in, and we don't tell anybody, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. So it's okay for us to be honest. It's okay to say, I don't feel like God loves me. I don't feel like anyone, nobody cares about me. Even if it's not true, it's okay for us to feel that way. We just need to do something about it. So what do we do? Right, what do we do for in a moment, if you're in a season right now where you feel like nobody loves you, and you also feel like, by extension, therefore God doesn't love you? Here's what we need to do. I'm going to say this and I'm going to explain what I mean because it may sound obvious. Here's what we need to do if we feel like God doesn't love us. We need to accept God's love. We need to accept God's love. And here's what I mean. Sometimes, especially if you're a follower of Christ and you know God loves you, it is a lie that we buy in from the enemy that God does not care about us. Like we, we, kind of, we kind of know God loves us, but we don't actually think he loves us or things wouldn't be happening in our life the way that they are. This does not mean that you have rejected Christ. It does not mean that you don't care about God or anything like that. But sometimes we just kind of buy into the lie that God does not actually love us. And if that is true, if that's how we're feeling this morning, here's what we need to know, that it is not true that you are not loved. Here's the reality. It's just not true. That you're not loved. And sometimes, especially if you're just in the midst of a difficult time, you just need someone to speak truth into your life, even if it doesn't always feel like that was really nice to say. But uh, but knowing the truth can change how we face and feel in a certain situation. And so the reality of the situation is this, it is not true that you are not loved. Even if you don't feel like you're loved, it doesn't change the fact that God actually actually loves you. And here's what's interesting about love, right? We often don't feel like God loves us, not because, it's not necessarily because we don't think God loves us, because we feel like we don't deserve it, right? We feel like we've messed up too much, or we've done this or that and we shouldn't have done it, and until we get our act together and our life together, that is until then God, it's not till then that God will love us. And what's interesting is we're about to read a passage by a guy named Paul who ends up writing about two-thirds of the New Testament, dying for, uh, for his faith in the early 60s A.D., And he was somebody before he became a Christian that would kill Christians and have Christians killed under his watch. And so here you have a man, if we want to play like the comparison game of like God, because I think often we think God can love and forgive everyone else, but we somehow think we're the only ones that don't deserve it. So if God can love and forgive a guy who kind of had Christians killed and not only forgive him, but then use him, the reality situation is he can forgive and use you too. If we want to play the comparison game, you probably haven't gone around killing a bunch of Christians. But here's the good news. Even if you have, or if you've done something equivalent in your mind to that, there is still grace for you. There is still forgiveness for you, and there is still love for you. And so what we're going to read, it's going to be in Romans chapter 8. If you want to flip on over there as well, read we one more passage, one more big passage here together. This is the guy, when he's talking about God's love, this isn't some like fluff. This isn't some like, oh, this sounds good. No, this is a guy, this is a man who has actually experienced the grace and forgiveness and redemption of Jesus. So Romans chapter 8 he talks out talks begins it by talking about how there is no condemnation for those in Christ. those who have accepted and followed Christ Jesus and his love for us, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done, there is no condemnation for us. So he forgives us, he gives us grace. He does all of these things for us and because of that, we can do what Paul is going to say here starting in verse 31, he says this. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is? against us is a rhetorical question there. There can still be people against you, but they can't overcome you because God, the king of the universe, is in control. That ultimately what he says goes, even if you feel like no one is for you, even if you feel like people are against you, it doesn't change the fact that one day you will stand before God in his presence and be welcomed into his kingdom. Verse 32, he did not even spare his own son, Jesus, But offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? What he's saying there is that those who are in Christ get the same inheritance that Christ is getting. That when we die and enter into God's recreated heavens and earth, that we get to experience joy and forgiveness and happiness and grace and things more amazing than we can ever imagine. Not because of us, but because of Christ. That we actually get everything we need—not the things that we think that we want—but ultimately we will get everything that we actually need because of Christ. Verse 34, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. That Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father saying, that is my son, that is my daughter, that as we fall short and sin and stumble, he still loves us as in his fighting for us. Verse 35, who could separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written... Because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, that's not us, he says in verse 37. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who what? Who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So all these things are for you, again, not because of you, but because of Jesus. And so here's the question. Who feels like this this morning? You may not. You may not feel like a conqueror. You may not feel like anybody loves you. You may not feel like God really loves you. But you need to know that is not true. And it's not based on how you feel. Again, it's based on what he has done. And this is important for us because some people, it seems, or not it seems, but the reality of the situation is some people would want this not to be true which may sound crazy. You may be like, Dylan, why would we not want this to be true that we can actually have grace and forgiveness and mercy from Christ? Why would we not want it to be true? Here's what I would say. that Sometimes we kind of would rather this not be true because it can be easier to be cynical, to live life the way you want to live it, and to feel like you don't matter. Why? Because if that's the case, then you can justify certain things and decisions that you make, right? I don't know if you've ever been there, But there's been times where I was mad and I used my anger to justify doing whatever I wanted to do. Even though I know it wasn't right or I shouldn't do it, I felt like it was okay because of how I felt in the moment. Or Christina, my wife, she'll share when she shares her story how when she grew up. She did all these things for all these people. In the summer before her freshman year in college, she was like, I'm over this. I want to live my life for myself. And so she justified kind of this idea of always doing things for other people. So now she wants to live her life for herself. And so she made a lot of mistakes. She hurt a lot of people. She ended a lot of friendships. And she'll tell you, why did she do that? Because she was justifying how she lived because she was angry about things that were going on in her life. Like, I think we've all done that, right? When we're mad, we can justify how we live and the certain decisions that we make, which means that sometimes, even though we think this could be true or want it to be true, we'll live like it's not. So, we can justify how we want to live. I'll give you one more example that I think all of us can relate to, or most of us. Have you ever, raise your hand, ever had a teacher that didn't like you? Ever had a teacher that you thought didn't like you? Okay, a lot of us. Um, What do you do in that situation? When you feel like you have a teacher that you don't like, that doesn't like you, you may act out more because it's like, well, they don't care anyway, so I'm going to kind of stick it to them. You know you shouldn't, but they don't like me anyway, so I'm going to justify my behavior. Here's what's interesting as I've grown up and now that I have friends that are teachers, I have found that that's not really true. Like, it's just there are students that certain teachers don't like as much as others, but really they're a teacher because they care, right? And so we justified in our mind that they don't care, or we say, I'm not gonna study or work really hard in this class because the teacher's just gonna give me a bad grade regardless, which isn't true, but because we think the teacher doesn't like us, then it justifies our behavior. Here's the reality. Sometimes we use our anger to justify our sin. Sometimes we use our anger to justify our sin. So it could be easy to be like, okay, I know this is, this is good and I want this to believe this and I want this to be true, but I'm not willing to change what I'm doing right now because if I do change my perspective, then it has to change the way I live and I might not be willing to do that. Because sometimes, again, we use our anger to justify our sin, which means the opposite is also true. Because here's the deal. Knowing you are loved changes how you live. The reality of this situation is knowing you are loved changes how you live. If this is actually true, it will change how you live. Think of it this way. Have you ever had a teacher or a coach or a boss or someone who is an authority over you who you knew cared about you, invested in you, encouraged you? In those situations, you do better. You perform better. Why? Not because you all of a sudden in a class got smarter or all of a sudden in a, in a sporting event got more athletic because you had someone above you who believed in you, who said that you could do it. And you were like, you know what? I don't think I can do it. I don't think I'm smart enough. I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm talented enough. But they said it. So I'm going to try the best that I can. And you often find that you perform better, not because you somehow got better overnight, because you knew someone loved and cared for you and was pouring into you. And Here's the reality. You're, some of us are going to walk out of these doors today, and life's still going to suck. Life still is going to be hard. We're going to feel like nobody cares about us, but it's going to change the way that you face the situation if you know that God actually does care, that God actually does love you, and knowing that will change how you live. Not It's not just for us to kind of go to heaven and be in God's kingdom. But it also has practical implications about how we walk through our life today, knowing you are loved changes how you live, and here's why, maybe why and how, right? So if we want to accept God's love, here's why we need to do this. Here's why. Because God's love is freely given, right? So when it it comes to accepting God's love and it changing us, it's not, again, it's not about us doing all these things to get him to love us. No, we do these things because he loved us first. See, oftentimes we get this backwards. We often think that if I do X, Y, or Z, or if I don't do X, Y, or Z, then God will love me. Right? We get it backwards because that's how we operate. That's how we as human beings operate. The more you do good, the more I love you. The less you do bad, the more I love you. And if, you if you do something wrong and make me angry, then my view towards you will be diminished. But God's love is freely given. It is not backwards. It is him loving us first. And so it's in response to that that we go and love other people. Uh, One more passage this morning in John chapter 13. It'll be on the screen, so you don't have to flip there. Jesus is with his disciples, and he's telling us what God wants us to do with our lives. And here's what he says. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And listen, the only way you're going to do this is if you uh, if you accept God's love first. Because if you don't, here's what happens: Whenever we do something out of obligation, we're we're not going to do it to its fullest potential, and we're eventually going to quit. When we do something because we're passionate about it, or because we want to. We will keep doing it and probably do it better. Let me give you an analogy. I don't know if this is the best analogy or not. But when I went to I went to into college as a music major. And then I got there, and it was awful. Like I, I music was fine. I was doing jazz piano stuff, and but like it was like a hobby for me. But everyone else, people were like sleeping in the practice rooms and like talking about all the music they were listening to and practicing all the time. And I was like, I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, and it helped me get into school because I got waitlisted anyway. So (laughs) not not bitter about that because anyway. So I got it anyway because of that, and so so I got into college, and then I was like, man, I. I don't love this. Like, I'll do it so I can get a grade, but I'm not going to work hard at it. I'm just going to get by. And then the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I took a philosophy class for the first time, and I was like, this is amazing. Like, I was passionate about it. I loved it. In fact, it wasn't until my junior year in college that I got straight A's for the first time. And I always used to be frustrated growing up because I was like, I feel like I could get straight A's. Like some of my friends that get good grades, I'm like, they're not that smart. Like I'm hanging out with them, I'm not sure, but I never did. And then here's what happened. I go to college, I finally get in a major I'm interested in. And in the fall semester of my junior year, for the first time, I get straight A's. Why? Because all of my classes were philosophy and religion classes. For the first time in my life, I was actually interested and passionate about what I was studying. Right? And it's not like I got smarter overnight. I didn't do anything. It was just that I was excited and passionate about the material that was in front of me, so I put in the work to get the grades. And this is about when it comes to following Jesus, again, it's not about doing things for God so that God will love us. It's about because God loves us that changes how we live. That we want to love God and grow closer closer to Him because he is amazing, we want to love God and love others so that other people can also experience the grace and mercy that he has as well. We don't do this to get something from him. We do this because it has already been given to us. So we love others because he has loved us. And here's the bottom line this morning. Here's how we love others, and here's how we can remember that God loves us. Because God's love for you is based on who he is, not who you are. What we need to remember this morning, that God's love for you is based on who he is, not who you are. Which means his love for you does not change the better you are or the less you sin. His love for you does not change the more you screw up. His love for you does not change the more money you give to the church. His love for you does not change the more Bible verses you memorize. His love for you does not change the earlier you get up in the morning to read your Bible before your day. His love for you does not change no matter what you do. Why? Because it is not based on you. It is based on him. And knowing that, we can go back and read John 3.16, I think in a little bit of a different light. Because again, here's the gospel It'll be on the screen. Here's the gospel. For God so loved the world, not because of you and me, but because of him, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes and trusts in him, not because of what you do, but because of what he has done, shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, the gospel is, it's not about you and me, it's about Christ coming, because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, not when we got everything figured out, but before we had anything figured out. And his invitation to us is to come to him before, during, after, it doesn't matter how messed up you think you are, his love and his invitation is for us, for anyone at any time, and he is inviting us to himself. This reminds me of a quote by uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor and theologian. And he's talking about how God's love for us is like anything different than we could ever imagine. Here's what he says. It'll be on the screen. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial right it, it, it's great if everybody loves us but we know if, if people don't if people love us but they don't really know us then we could you know it's like it's great they love us but is it, is it a true genuine love because if they loved us or if they knew us they probably wouldn't love us as much. So it's great for everyone to love us but it's superficial if they don't actually know us right and then he says this but to be known and not loved is our greatest fear right So even worse than being loved superficially is for people to actually know us because we're afraid if people actually know us then they will not love us. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, it's a lot by be, like being loved by God. He's the only one. This is crazy. He's the only one that actually knows everything about you. It knows all of your thoughts, all your motivations, everything you've ever done. And he's the only one that truly, actually loves you more than anyone else. He continues to quote by saying this, it is what we need more than anything, right? It liberates us from the pretense of humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us." Knowing that we are fully known and fully loved changes how we approach life. Again, like last week, we talked about how assurance comes from knowing who is in control. You may not feel like you have enough money to get by, and you're going to leave out of here, and you're still going to be in the same financial situation, but knowing who is in control changes how you face it. The same thing for us when it comes to feeling like nobody loves us, feeling like nobody cares. Knowing that God actually loves us does not not mean you're going to walk out of these doors and everyone's going to want to be your friend, but it changes how you face the difficulties of life because you know you are not alone. Again, God's love for you, is based on who he is, not who you are. This is why Christ came. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus is not based on you and me getting our stuff together. It's based on him. And he's simply inviting us to come and follow him. And as we stumble and as we fall and as we screw up, he is at the right hand of the father saying, that is my son, that is my daughter, and the invitation is simply for us to come and trust in him. Listen, you are loved even if you don't feel like it. You are loved even if you don't if you even if you feel like you don't measure up why? Because again, God's love is based not on not on you. It's based on him. It's based on who he is and not you, are, not who you are and how you perform. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you that you love us and that you care for us. Thank you that your grace and your love is not based on us acting a certain way, or us getting our life together, but the gospel is that you came to offer us grace and forgiveness, no matter who we are. And so my prayer this morning is for those that may be here, and maybe hearing it for the first time, or maybe this is connecting for the first time, that they could know that they could follow you and trust in you today, before they have all the questions answered, before they have everything figured out, that you love them here, that you love them now, that you love them today. And I pray that maybe today is the first time that they turn and give their life to you. And I also pray for those of us in the room who are followers of you, that we would remember that you don't love us more when we don't sin and when we give money and we read our Bibles more and we and we love people better. I mean, those are great things for us to do and those demonstrate our trust in you, but that does not change how you view us and how you love us. And so my prayer is that you, we would understand and be reminded that you do love us and that would change how we live, that we don't try to get better to make us make you love us more but we try to follow you out of the love that you have given for us. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for coming and giving your life so that anybody who believes and trusts and turns and repents to you can experience the love of the King. God, we love you. We are so undeserved of your love. And it's Jesus' in name we pray.